Good evening. It's a blessing to be gathered with God's children. So tonight I felt like to speak about one of the attributes of God. As humans, we are time-bound, and if one thing is certain in our lives, change is. Currently, we can see the seasons changing in all their glory. Our country is going through a time of significant change, social upheaval, Healthcare is faced with a once-every-hundred-year pandemic and significant changes. We, as a church, face um, rapidly changing and constantly changing technology. As I think about all this, um, I'm blessed when I think about what we read in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. This verse is very simple. It says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. The seasons may change, governments will change, people will change. Despite this constant change, we can be certain that God is faithful. And I'd like to share tonight about God's faithfulness, his love, his goodness, his omnipotence, his holiness, and his omniscience will never change. So first, I'd like to look at some definitions of faithfulness, and then we will look at scripture to see what that says about God's faithfulness. Following that, we'll look at some people who have been faithful, both in Scripture and then more recently. And then finally, I'd like to look at some examples of faithfulness that we see in nature. I'll close with a story for the children, so I guess you get two stories tonight. All right, so looking at definitions, if you go to Merriam-Webster's and um, pull out the dictionary, faithfulness is defined as steadfastness in affection or allegiance, loyalty, Firm in adherence to promises or, an obser- or observance of duty. Conscientious. Given with strong assurances. True to the facts, to a standard, or to an original. Unswerving adherence to a person or thing, or to the oath or promise by which a tie was contracted. Contracted, probably. If you look at the Hebrew word for faithfulness um, in the Old Testament, it's imuna. Um, provides, this means certainty. The words righteousness, judgment or justice, loving kindness, mercies, and faithfulness bear out the conclusion that the synonyms for Imuna are covenantal terms expressive of God's faithfulness and love. The assurance of the covenant and the promises is established by God's nature. He is faithful. So we can be certain of God's faithfulness. So first of all, I'd like to think about evidence of God's faithfulness in Scripture. When you read in Deuteronomy... Um, you, see, you hear Moses giving his final message to the children of Israel, after which he is going to die and they will go into the promised land. So I'd like to read Deuteronomy 7, verse 9. If you want to turn there with me. Deuteronomy 7, 9. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. So when we think of God's faithfulness, we see here that he is faithful up to a thousand generations. There are some conditions attached. We need to love him and keep his commandments. 
Have you ever thought about how long a thousand generations are? Um, I hadn't really stopped to think about this, but a normal generation is probably about 25 years, I think would be a, a fair length to give it. So a thousand generations is 25,000 years. For those of us who believe the Genesis story, that's longer than the earth has existed. So that's how faithful God is, beyond time. Next, I'm going to read several verses from Lamentations. I'm going to turn with me to Lamentations chapter 3. So you read verses 22 and 23 here. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. It's a beautiful picture. Um, this is where we get the song, Great is thy faithfulness. And um, also reminds us here, every day we have new mercies from the Lord. He it is that keeps us from being consumed, destroyed. Another beautiful picture of God's faithfulness. When I think about God's faithfulness, I think about all the prophecies that have been fulfilled. And um, another piece of that is how God has always had a special people. When you look at Psalm 136, um, I describe this as the His mercy endureth forever psalm. Um, it starts and ends with who God is and what he does for his people. But sandwiched in there from verses 10 to 24 is a story of how he brought his people miraculously out of Egypt through the Red Sea and defeated the kings before them and brought them into the promised land. Moving to the New Covenant, if you look in Acts chapter 6, chapter six and 7. So this is the story of the, um, the church crying out and saying, the, the Grecian church crying out and saying, look, we're not being treated fairly. And so they ordained deacons. And then... Um, it tells us about Stephen, who is a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And then he's, um, they gang up on him to kill him. And just prior to his stoning, he tells the same story that we read here in Psalm 136. But he starts earlier, starts with Abraham, and then he goes further also. And he ends with this, verses 52 and 53 of chapter 7. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one, or Jesus of whom ye have been now, the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. They, of course, became very angry at that and then stoned him. So here we see that Jesus was the ultimate fulfillment of the pro of prophecy. And um, the book of Acts throughout it shows the Holy Spirit's faithfulness in calling out a special people, the church. So looking at, um, he says about the prophets, they have slain them, which showed before of the coming of the just one. So the prophets were the ones who talked about Jesus. I'd like to look at some of the prophecies of Jesus now and how they were fulfilled. So I will just read these. I won't ask you to look them up. But in Genesis 3.15 is the first prophecy of Jesus. And um, here God is speaking to the serpent. And he says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So Jesus was going to come and bruise the serpent's head. If you go to Isaiah, many beautiful passages here. Isaiah 11 and 5 says, And righteousness shall be the girl of his loins, and faithfulness the girl of his reins. So there, a prophecy of Jesus, he is faithful. 
Isaiah 53, of course, is full of prophecies of Jesus that were fulfilled. It says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. So foretelling that Jesus would be totally silent as he was being persecuted, as he was being tried. He's like a lamb. Talks about how he was going to be buried by Joseph Arimathea with the wealthy. Moving on to Micah. Micah chapter 5 verse 2 speaks about um, where Jesus was going to be born. But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. So here we hear where Jesus is to be born. When we think about God's faithfulness being demonstrated in people, uh, one of the first things that came to mind for me was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And that's the story we read in Daniel 3. I'm not going to read the whole story, but um, Nebuchadnezzar was a very proud king. Do you remember he erected the gigantic idol to himself and said, everybody from Babylon, come. And we're going to play music, and then you're going to bow down and worship me. I am your God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were faithful, said, we can't do that. And um, so they didn't bow the first time, and they gave him a second chance. And um, they just stood there and said, no, we cannot do that. Um, We don't know what God's going to do with us, but we can't bow down. Nebuchadnezzar was furious when he heard that. And so he had them make the, the furnace seven times hotter. He said he had the most mighty men that were in his army bind them and cast them into the furnace. And um, while they were doing that, they perished. And then Nebuchadnezzar looks into the, into the fire, and there he sees the three men up and walking around. And with them is a fourth man, Jesus. Jesus walked with them in the fire and delivered them. So what was the outcome here? If you read verses 28 through 30 in Daniel 3, it says, Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces and their houses shall be made a dunghill because there is no other god that can deliver after this sort. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So the most proud king acknowledged no other god can do what the Hebrew god has done here. Our god has done. And then he promoted them. He is faithful to take care of his own. When we think about more modern examples of faithfulness, um, I think we can all point to perhaps parents, church leaders, teachers who we've seen be faithful. Um, we as a congregation have been blessed by some of your own being faithful. Terrell and Cindy have come and helped us out when we were in hard times and have been a tremendous blessing to us. When I think about um, God's faithfulness, I also think of nature. Um, seasons, daytime, nighttime. So immediately after the most dramatic climate change the world has ever seen, the Great Flood, which Duane read to us tonight about um, Noah being told to prepare. 
we hear God speaking to Noah. So I'd like to read Genesis 8, 20 to 22. And Noah built an altar unto the Lord, and took of every clean beast, and of every clean fowl, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more every living thing, as I have done. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. So, the climate may be changing, but what we can be sure of is that we will always have seed time and harvest, summer and winter, day and night, as long as time lasts. When we think of faithfulness, um, I had to think about Canada geese. So some of you farmers may not really like these animals because they tend to be rather destructive in the fields. Um, but they are an example of faithfulness. So um, JustBirding.com says this. Geese are found all over the world in more than 50 different breeds, but all are known to mate for life. Geese are fiercely loyal and have been observed suffering from depression after losing a mate. What's more... Geese will often stay behind with a sick or injured mate while the rest of the flock migrates on without them. Now that's true love. Male geese or ganders take their roles as providers and protectors seriously. They diligently root up plants for the female to eat. They are also devoted to guarding the female, especially when she's incubating eggs. They will fight an intruder and inflict injury if necessary. Some of you may have had the opportunity to, to get close to a goose nest. They will, they will chase you and they will... Um, they're pretty aggressive in protecting their nest and each other. So a beautiful example of God's faithfulness in nature. When I think of um, faithfulness, um, most of you probably have some pets. And um, you may think about cats or dogs. Um, I'd like to share a true story. This is, I should say, this is based on a true story. So this is um, the story of a dog in Japan back in the 1920s. Um, written by Pamela S. Turner. There's a statue of my old friend at the entrance to Shibuya Station. His bronze feet are bright and shiny, polished by thousands of friendly hands. There's a sign that says simply, Loyal Dog Hachiko. I close my eyes and remember the day we met so long ago. When I was six years old, my family moved to a little house in Tokyo near the Shibuya train station. At first, the trains frightened me, but after a while, I grew to enjoy their power and the furious noises they made. One day, I begged Mama to take me to meet Papa as he came home on the afternoon train. She laughed and said, Kentaro, you have become big and brave, just like a samurai. Together, we walked to the station. It was spring, and the day was clear and cold. There were tiny carts all around the station, selling snacks, newspapers, and hundreds of other things to the crowds of people rushing by. Ladies in kimonos walked carefully, trying to keep their white tabby socks away from the grime of the streets. Businessmen strode about, hurrying home or to catch another train. Mom and I had stopped at a tra- station entrance when I noticed the dog. He was sitting quietly, all alone, by a newspaper stand. He had thick, cream-colored fur, small pointed ears, and a broad, bushy tail that curved up over his back. I wondered if the dog was a stray, but he was wearing a nice leather harness and looked healthy and strong. His brown eyes were fixed in the station entrance. Just then, Papa appeared. He was chatting with an older, older man. The dog bounded over to the man, his entire body wiggling and quivering with delight. His eyes shone 
and his mouth curled up into something that looked to me just like a smile. Ah, Kintaro. You see, Dr. Uno, you are not the only one who is someone to welcome him, said Papa. He introduced us to the older man. Dr. Uno works with me at Tokyo Imperial University. What is your dog's name? I asked timidly. The dog was beautiful, but his sharp face reminded me of a wolf's. I grabbed Mama's kimono and stepped behind her just in case. Don't be afraid, said Dr. Uno kindly. This is Hachiko. He is big, but still a puppy. He walks me to the station every morning and waits for me to come home every afternoon. I think Hachiko stores up all his joy all day long and then lets it out all at once. Hachiko stood wagging his tail next to Dr. Uno. I reached out to touch him, and he bounced forward and sniffed my face. I yelped and jumped back behind Mama. They all laughed. Oh, Kentaro, don't worry. He just wants to get to know you, said Dr. Uno. Dogs can tell a lot about people just by smelling them. Why, Hachiko probably knows that you, what you ate for lunch. I sniffed my hand, but it didn't smell like rice balls to me. I reached out and touched Hachiko gently on the shoulder. His fur is so thick and soft, I said, like a bear's. Dogs like Hachiko once hunted bears in the north, where it is very cold and snowy, said Dr. Uno, kneeling down next to me and rubbing Hachiko's ears. From that day on, I went to the station almost every afternoon, but I no longer went to see the trains. I went to see Hachiko. He was always there, waiting near the newspaper stand. I often saved a morsel for my lunch and hid it in one of my pockets. Hachiko would sniff me all over, wagging his tail, until he found a sticky bit of fish or soybean cake. Then he would nudge me with his nose, as if to say, Give me my prize! When it was cold, I would bury my face in the thick ruff of creamy fur around his neck. One day in May, I was waiting at the station with Hachiko. The moment I saw Papa, I knew something was wrong. He was alone, and he walked hunched over, hunched over, staring sadly at the gray pavement under his feet. What's the matter, Papa? I asked him anxiously, standing with one hand on Hachiko's broad head. He sighed. Kintaro, let's go home. Hachiko's bright brown eyes followed us as we walked away, but he stayed behind, waiting for Dr. Uno. When we got home, Papa told us that Dr. Uno had died that morning at the university. I was stunned. But what will happen to Hachiko? I asked, blinking hard to keep the tears back. What will he do? I don't know, said Papa. Perhaps Dr. Uno's relatives will take him in. What about tonight, I asked. Can we go see if he's all right? Papa was very sad and tired, but he walked with me back to Shibuya Station. Hachiko was curled up by the newspaper stand. He wagged his tail when he saw us. Papa and I gave him water and an old chipped bowl and some food. Hachiko ate and drank, but he kept looking up toward the station entrance for Dr. Uno. Papa and I left even sadder than we had come. The next day, I went back to check on Hachiko, but he was not there. Papa told me that Hachiko had been taken several miles away to live with some of Dr. Uno's relatives. But I'll never see him again, I cried. Why can't he live with us? We don't have room for a dog, protested Papa. And Hachiko really belongs to Dr. Uno's relatives, now that Dr. Uno is dead. Hachiko is better off having a home than sitting in a train station. But Hachiko had other ideas. A few days later, he was back at Shibuya Station, patiently waiting, his brown eyes fixed on the entrance. Hachiko had run back to his old home, and from there to Shibuya Station. Mama and Papa let me take food and water to Hachiko every day. Mama grumbled a bit about that for the food, saying we couldn't afford to feed a big bear like Hachiko, but she always seemed to cook more rice than we could eat. Other people at the station took an interest in Hachiko. Men and women who rode Papa and Dr. Uno's train stopped by to scratch his ears and say a few kind words. One day I saw an old man filling Hachiko's water bowl as Hachiko licked his hand. The old man's hair was streaked with gray, and he was stooped, as if he had spent most of his life bent over the ground. 
but his eyes were as sharp and bright as the Chico's. Are you young, Kintaro? The old man asked. I nodded. I'm Mr. Kobayashi. I was Dr. Uno's gardener. Dr. Uno told me that you and Hachiko often wait for the afternoon train together. Do you still take care of the house where Dr. Uno lived, I asked. Yes, said Mr. Kobayashi. Hachiko came back to the house every night to sleep on the porch. I should say, Hachiko comes back to the house every night to sleep on the porch. But in the morning, he walks to the station just like he did with Dr. Uno. When the last train leaves the station, he returns home. We were both silent. Then I asked, do you think Hachiko knows that Dr. Uno died? Mr. Kobayashi said thoughtfully, I don't know, Kintaro. Perhaps he still hopes Dr. Uno will return someday. Or perhaps he knows Dr. Uno is dead, but he waits at the station to honor his master's memory. As the years passed and Hachiko got older, he became very stiff and could barely walk to Shibuya Station. But still he went, every day. People began collecting money to build a statue of Hachiko at the station. Papa, Mama, and I all gave him money. And we were very happy when the statue was placed next to the spot Hachiko had waited for so many years. One chilly morning, I woke to the sound of Mama crying. What's wrong? I asked as I stumbled into the kitchen. Papa sat silently at the table, and Mama turned her tear-stained face to me. Hachiko died last night at Shibuya Station, she choked, still waiting for Dr. Uno. I was 17 and too big to cry, but I went into the other room and did not come out for a long time. Later that day, we all went to the station. To our great surprise, Hachiko's spot near the newspaper stand was covered in flowers placed there by his many friends. Old Mr. Kobayashi was there. He shuffled over to me and put a hand on my shoulder. Hachiko didn't come to the house last night, he said quietly. I walked to the station and found him. The big bronze statue of Hachiko is a very famous meeting place. Shibuya Station is enormous now, and hundreds of thousands of people travel through it every day. People always say to each other, let's meet Hachiko. Today, Hachiko is a place where friends and family long separated come together again. It's amazing how God shows his faithfulness even through animals who um, can be very faithful. And a challenge to all of us, how faithful are we to our master? So, in conclusion, in these times of great change and perhaps uncertainty, we can trust our Heavenly Father. He has promised to keep covenant and mercy to a thousand generations of those that love him and keep his commandments. He demonstrates his faithfulness with each new day. He has always kept his promises. Faithful people around us remind him of his faithfulness. Seasons, Canada geese, and even dogs give us small small representations of his faithfulness. Praise him.